0: Great, And we're glad you're here today. This is what we do at church. We thank God, we praise God, we give to God, we hear stories about God. It's kind of all about God here, and we appreciate that in his son, Jesus Christ. And so many of you have come to me and go, oh, as Carl said, I'd love to serve in the church. I'd love to serve in the church. How do I serve in the church? Well, today's the day. Go in the back and find a place to serve. And if you want to be equipped if you're a new believer, and even if you're not a believer, and you're just kind of exploring, there's a great class, my wife Elizabeth leads it, starts up on Wednesday nights here in a week or two. Come to that, be a part of that, like Jackie and others. I see some of you here who've all been a part of that as well. Just come to that and explore it. And if you are a new believer and going, I don't quite get it all, come to that as well. And there's so many other opportunities. And just as Carl said, the way we've defined words, and words have a lot of meaning to it, and they could mean different things in different places. Some of the words serving is what we do on this campus. Outreach is what we do off this campus. So when we talk about outreach ministries, and we have all of them all over South Florida. That's outreach. That's off the campus. Or we might do it here, but we're doing it for other people. Serving is what we do on the campus for us, for the adults, for the kids, for the young uh, students, the older students, etc. So great opportunities. And if you'd like to get in a Bible study, that's next week. Next week, we'll have all the groups of those type out there next week. So this week is serving outreach and equipping. Next week is the Bible studies or other Bible studies. So you can sign up for that next week. And they all begin here in the next two weeks and go through the school year. We take some time off in the summer. So we're glad uh, that you can be a part We welcome our online people today as well, and we appreciate, there's several hundred, by the way, that watch online every week, and we are glad you're a part of our church. We consider you a part of our church, those of you in South Florida, and many listen who are here in the winter, but gone in uh, the summer and fall, and so we are glad you're a part. We're starting back our trips, we haven't done many trips over the last few years. We did Moldova as a special trip for the Ukrainian issues, but we're starting back trips. We're doing a small one, and small by that I mean small number of people. We're doing two of those, one that starts tomorrow, and I'll share so you can pray, and one in September. But then we'll be starting them, and you can become a part of them, and we'll be announcing that. So over the next two weeks, we're talking about groups. The third week, Labor Day weekend, we'll be talking about World Lead a little more and you can get to know about world Lead and what we do around the world. Because many of you say, can I go on a trip with you? The answer is yes, but we haven't done many. And I know some of you have been asking, when are we going back to Israel? We are working our way towards that. So hopefully in the next month or so, we can give some announcement towards when we go to Israel again, And for those who would like to go to the Holy Land and walk the places and see the places we talk so much about. So all that's coming and we appreciate that as well. But I'd like to pause as we open my part of today and pray for those going to Ghana. It's Accra, Ghana. Ghana is in West Africa. And they are gonna be going and teaching with some people both in English and in French. So the first half of the week will be in English. The second half of the week will be in French. If you're familiar with West Africa, there's an English-speaking part and a French. And there's, of course, also Arabic but they're gonna do the English and the French part this next week. Uh, Cameron and uh, John, Cameron Free, who you know, John Lucas, who has been a part of World Lead from its inception, and Ian and Janet Ross are gonna be going. So if you can remember those names, Cameron, John, Ian, and Janet, very simple. They'll be gone for 11 days, leaving tonight, and be back 11 days from now. So can we pause and just pray for them? So Father, thank you for Ian and Janet, John and Cameron, as they leave this evening and go to West Africa, I pray, Father, and thank you for the people in West Africa and those who love you and those who need you. We realize there's a battle there, a battle for the souls of the West Africans in both Ghana and the other nations. And so, Father, I pray for the missionaries and the partners that are throughout that region that'll be assembling into Accra and um, being trained and pray and uh, connecting and getting to know each other. So I pray for safety for their trip back and forth, but also that they can share and can engage with these men and women throughout that region uh, so the gospel can be seen and heard and understood there, and your name can be proclaimed in that part of the world. And we thank you for them. We thank you for our church, and today, Lord, as we open your word, that we would understand it more than ever before. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. amen, amen. The Bible is full of choices. There's a lot of choices in the Bible, and we as people have a lot of choices. I remember as a child and then into high school, I loved poetry. I know most men don't love poetry, and for you ladies, I like Jane Austen, and I I, I don't get it. I love the Bronte sisters and their writing, and the men go, ugh, you know, I don't go to see Spider-Man, I go to see Pride and Prejudice, and it's just, I don't know, I'm just that kind of guy, but... One of the poems that changed my life in high school was a poem by Robert Frost. It was written in the mid-1950s, early 1960s, I believe, but it's as good today as it was when I learned it in high school. It's called The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for the passing there, had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no steps had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I should be telling this with a sigh, ages and ages hence two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Isn't that great? I mean, it's like, hit me. It hits me every time I read it, and it really is about the passage we're going to look at today. If you think of the Bible, choices. In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve a choice, He didn't place it in the sense of a choice, but because they had the ability, he said, you can eat of all the fruit, but don't eat of this one tree. It was a choice. They made the wrong choice. Moses, at the end of his life, in his entire ministry, in those last 40 years, taking the children of Israel, at the end of his life, he gave them a choice. He said, choose life or choose death. I don't know if you remember that. Joshua, at the end of his life, did the same thing. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Do you remember that? You can serve the gods back in Egypt, or you can serve our God. Can't do both. And then he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Elijah had the same thing. When the prophets were there, they're the prophets of Baal and they're building all these altars and then he, the prophet of God, is building an altar and he told the people, choose which one you're going to do. Are you going to serve the prophets and the gods of Baal and he named all the other pagan gods or are you going to serve the one true God, Jehovah? It's a choice. Now Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, gives us a choice. He gives us this long sermon and if you're new To us, or have been away, or just this is one of your first weeks here, we welcome you. We've been in the sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon where Jesus gives his opening statement when he was here on earth. He tells us how to pray, he tells us how to give, he tells us how to live humbly, he tells us not to be angry, not to judge. You remember all these things? How to fast. We've been talking about it all summer long, and we're in the last two weeks of it. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, and he gives four little metaphors of a choice. We're going to look at the first three this week, and then the fourth one next week. So, four pictures, it's similar choices. So, he's not saying you got choice one, two choices, choice two, two choices. It's really similar. He words it in a different way. So, let me read it starting in Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by that gate are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few." So he starts out by saying, there are two gates, and there's a road behind each one of those gates, and you gotta take the choice, so you're gonna do the narrow gate with its road, you're gonna do the wide gate with its wide road. That's number one. Then he goes in verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear Bad fruit and a diseased tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that bears good fruit is uh, does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. So, there's this second duo, which is false prophets, good prophets, false trees, bad trees. He uses fruit, bad fruit, good fruit, kind of all one. So he goes there. You could follow them, or you could follow who's right, the ones who give good fruit are the ones who give bad fruit. That's the second one. The third one is starting in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is a scary one. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There are two types of disciples, two types of people who call the name of the Lord. And we're gonna look at that in a moment. So there are two gates with two roads in them There are two prophets with two types of fruits, and then there are two sets of people that say, Lord, Lord, and some who know and some who don't. Can we look at these this morning? So the first one says, enter, verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. So here's something we need to think about. We usually think as Robert Frost wrote that there are two paths, right? Two roads diverge in a yellow wood and sorry I could not take both, long I stood to where it bent, right? There's two roads and we take one road or we take the other road. That's not what this says. What this says is there's two gates. There are two gates, there's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate, and behind the narrow gate is a narrow road, and betwi- behind the wide gate is a wide road. See the difference? Here's the difference. Many people think there's a road and then a gate, and then death. The death is the gate. We walk through the gate of death, and we end up in heaven or we end up in hell. That is not what this is saying at all. And so, You might see that in other places, but not this place. What this place is saying, Jesus is saying, is there is a narrow gate, and there is a wide gate. And you've got to make a choice. Are you going to go through the narrow gate, or are you going to go through the wide gate? And afterwards, there is a road behind that gate, and there is a road behind this gate. What is he saying here? What he's saying here is that the gate is not about death, the gate is about life. Big difference. You remember this whole sermon is about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. If you're new, we've been talking about that we live in two kingdoms. You've heard me say this dozens of times over the last few years, but let me say it again. When you are born, you're born into the kingdom of earth. When you become a believer in God, through his son, Jesus Christ, you are born into the kingdom of heaven. And it's during this time, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you live in two kingdoms. You live in the kingdom of earth, you live in the kingdom of heaven. When you die, you stop living in the kingdom of earth, but you continue living in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see that? I've been saying this over and over and over again, but it takes seven times for us to get it in our minds. So this is the seventh time. <laughs> what I am saying is the choice, and we can talk, we'll talk about what that means in a minute, of entering the narrow gate is the beginning of entering the kingdom of heaven. Your new life begins at that point in time. It does not begin when you die. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Jackie is a brand new follower of Jesus Christ, right? Same God, this was last Easter. This is five months ago, four months ago. She is a believer. You have entered the kingdom of heaven, Jackie. And nothing is gonna take you away. We'll talk about the nothing take you away later. But she is a member of the kingdom of heaven. And she is a child of the king. Only children of the king are allowed into the kingdom of heaven, and she is in it now. And Jackie, if you live to be one more day and die, you are in the kingdom of heaven. If you live another 30 years, you are in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see that? Death separates you from the kingdom of earth, not get you into the kingdom of heaven. Big difference. When you die, earth is over. You can't pray to your dead grandparents. Earth is over. Heaven continues. It does not begin at death. It begins at new birth. That is what the Bible tells us. And there is a gate there. John chapter 10, which is towards the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus says, I am the gate. John chapter 10, verse 7. We don't have time to go there, but He is the gate. So, You enter through the gate, and we'll talk about what that really means. You enter through the gate, and now you're into a new life. A new life that is narrow. The gate is narrow. Now, I've said this many times too. Why is the gate narrow? Well, you could say because there's few people. That is one answer. I think it's because you can only enter it one at a time. You see, I cannot take you into the gate. I can't take you there. I can lead you to the gate. I can be on the other side of the gate saying, come on, but I can't take you through the gate. It's a relationship between you and God through his son, Jesus Christ. You have to believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. In other words, you shall walk through the gate. Do you see that? So we are here at church trying to encourage you to go through the gate. People like Jackie, those of you who are already through the gate, we are encouraging you on the road, but I cannot get you through the gate. I can't kick you through the gate. I can't pull you through the gate. I can't give you money to go through the gate. I can't encourage, you know, I can't do anything except share the gospel and pray that the spirit of God will work in your life. Now, depending on your theology, how do you get through the gate? Is it God, God can pull you through the gate, right? I stand at the door and knock. God can pull you through the gate, but it's ultimately faith. And you can say, depending on your theology, God gave you the faith or I had the faith. I'm not going there today on that one, but it's faith in Jesus Christ that takes you through the gate. Now this gate is wide, why? Because everybody can go through that gate. I can take you through that gate. We can go through that gate together. I can't take you through this gate the narrow gate, because it's only Jesus Christ who could take you through the gate. That is the important thing. Now, you're on a different path. And he goes to the second part of this, and on that path, he's assuming you're on the narrow path, there are people dressed in sheep's clothing who are really wolves. Second, there are people that are teaching you, speaking to you, speaking into you, speaking into the thing, and they are sheep, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. I personally prefer wolves in wolves' clothing. I like to know who my enemy is. People go, you know, I, I read a lot and I look at a lot and I look at, uh, I, you know, news and all the other things and political science and sociology and all, and I read all the people I don't agree with. People go, how can you do that? I go, well, they're wolves, but I know they're wolves. I can deal with a wolf if I know they're a wolf. It's very hard to deal with a wolf who looks like a sheep because we kind of all look alike, right? And it's not, until, and he's telling us, be careful. Here's the thing, the Bible is our sword. The Bible, it's, it's talked about as being a cannon. One N, C-O-C-A-N-O-N, not C-A-N-N. It's not a cannon that you shoot. It's a cannon like a standard. It's a ruler. It was interesting last night, Elizabeth said, I gotta get something six inches. Well, all of us sitting around went like this. This is six inches. Every one of us put the length of our finger to our thumb is six inches. Well, you know what, it's not. We had to go get a ruler, a cannon, and go, that is six inches. Now, I was the closest because I've got the longest fingers, but I was still off a half an inch. You see, the canon, the ruler, tells us what it is. The Bible tells us what it is, so be careful Story number two, when people tell you things, make sure you're judging them, not by their good uh, speaking, their good looks, their good um, whatever is, interests you, their good sociology, politics, socioeconomics, whatever it is that's important to you, that's not what's important when they speak, this is what's important. Does it follow this? And if it doesn't, and they say it does. Now, there are people who are wolves in wolves' clothing and they don't do this, and you just deal with it. But the people who say they are followers of Jesus Christ or followers of the way or followers of God and they're not following this, this is the most important thing. Please understand this, and I've said this many times too. If I ever say something up here that goes against this, believe this and not me. Just telling you. Because this stands even if I don't. Now, I'm holding the Bible, and you gotta just hold it. That's a physical thing. But please understand, no one needs to hold the Bible. The Bible holds itself. Please understand that. The Bible stands by itself. And that's why people wanna destroy the Bible. We have to destroy it, not we. They have to destroy the Bible because everything we believe is based on the Bible. It is not based on my... Emotions, it's not based on my feelings, it's not based on what my parents told me. All that's good, that might give me good ethics, good care, you know, good living with people, but this is, we would know nothing about Jesus Christ. Except Josephus said there was a man named Jesus who lived and died on a Roman cross, we would know that, but we wouldn't know anything about the Sermon on the Mount without this. We would know nothing about Moses. We would know nothing about David. We'd know nothing about the creation of the world without this. So if we destroy this and we criticize this and we deconstruct this, and this has been going on for hundreds of years, then we can destroy your faith. So please understand that this is important. I happen to believe in the creation, God created the world. I know I'm one of the few left. I believe God created the world. Now, I think he did it in six days. I know I'm going to get a lot of letters on that. I do believe it. I believed in my whole life. I actually believe there was an Adam and Eve. There are, believe this or not, I mean, I shouldn't use the word believe. It's unbelievable that there are Christian teachers that don't believe Adam and Eve existed. I tell them, if you don't believe Adam and Eve existed, I'm fine with that, but don't say you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, don't believe in Adam, and Eve. I don't care. That's up to you. But I do care because without Adam and Eve, you don't have the book of Romans. The book of Romans you can just throw out. And the book of Romans tells us the theology behind our total belief. You can't have the book of Galatians. You can't have the book of Colossians without the book, those first few chapters of Genesis. So people try to throw out those first few chapters of Genesis. Get them out of the Bible because then the rest of the Bible starts crumbling. So please understand. Now we can argue a little about this or that and you know when this occurred and how that occurred. Yeah, we can argue about that. But the reality is this, that one day there was no earth and another time there was. Now, and God gave us the answer. So this is very important. So please, this second area is this whole area of false teachers. Now what do we as Christians do? Okay, so we all live in Florida, those of you online. If you're not from Florida, you need to understand there are a lot of animals in Florida. You don't know this because we live along the coast and we only think of sharks and fish and things, turtles and things like that. But Florida, the rural parts of Florida have a lot of animals and they have a lot of, what do they call those animals, exotics, right? We have pythons and we have iguanas. Do you have iguanas at your house? Oh my goodness. I live on the fifth floor, fifth floor, and they make their home on our patio. Fifth floor, why, why can't they just stay on the first floor? I mean, we're talking every single day we're dealing with this. There are iguanas everywhere, okay? There are pythons everywhere. There are cats, and I don't mean house cats, I'm talking about bobcats. There are uh, Florida panthers, etc., all over the place. And one of the other animals that's everywhere, again, not in Boca, but are pigs. Pigs have taken over the rural parts at different times. Pigs, I'm talking the big wild boar, you know, the ones with the tusk and it's just amazing. They're big. So you're allowed to kill these things without permits and you know, you can't kill a deer without a permit or whatever. There's wild bears, there's all this wild stuff. But pigs, do you know how pigs hide when they have danger? It's amazing. I used to pig hunt. I don't do that anymore. I don't hunt at all. i kind of stopped all that hunting when I became a pastor. But I hunted before, and I'd hunt pigs with bows and arrows. I, I loved archery, and pigs would run when they feel danger. And in the out in the woods of Florida, there's these palmetto brushes. That's like a palmetto tree without the tree. They're on the ground, and they're all over the place, and they have the prickly things, and they dive into it, and get their head into the bushes. Their whole body is out. (laughs) It's a classic head in the sand thing, but it's head in the palmetto brushes. Well, they're just sitting ducks. So many Christians hide themselves in something and think they are safe. They hide themselves into church into the Christian school, into a a Bible study. This is not a place to hide. This is the place to get energized, to do what your faith requires you to do when you're out there. Because it's just amazing. I mean, you could kill these things so easy because they they no longer are afraid because they have hidden their faces into the bushes. And so many Christians of us have hit our faces in the bushes and realize that we're safe and we really aren't. God has called us to confront. God has called us to be aware. God has called us to be there and to understand what's false and what is true. And he says here, if I can turn over the page, there's healthy fruit and there's bad fruit. I want to eat healthy fruit. Spiritually, you wanna eat healthy fruit. But bad people do produce fruit. Just don't eat their fruit. And you can take that as far as you need to. Now let's look at the last one because this is the one that's the scariest of it all. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now to me, this is very scary. Lord Lord I usually think if someone says lord lord not in na- and they're not saying cursing like cursing lord lord not that they're saying it in a good way Jesus is saying it in a good way but one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me lord lord did we not prophesy in your name cast out demons in your name do great mighty works in your name and i will declare to them i never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness. Here's the point. There's a couple points, and we're going to look at what we can learn from this. The first thing is bad people can do good things. People go, oh, no, that's not true. Let me tell you, bad people can do good things. That's the whole thing of a wolf in sheep's clothing. They can do good things, and they even use the language that we use, Lord, Lord. They prophesy, they do things. They even do miracles, they even do good things in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the church, and they are not followers. So how does this work? Because the big question then is, how do you know when someone says, Lord, Lord, if they're a follower of Jesus or not a follower? And can I even say, how do you know that you're a follower of Jesus or not a follower? That's the scary thing. And the big question comes behind that. And I'm going to just get the elephant in the middle of the room. And that is, can you lose your salvation that God has given you? Can you lose it? Look me in the eye. The answer is no. Can I repeat that? Look me in the eye. The answer is no. If you walk through that gate, the door of Jesus Christ, it has no back door to it there is no handle on the backside of it. You will not lose your salvation. So what that means is there are people who are pretending to be that. And how do you know who is whom? Let me give you two words. Can I write these down? Well, one is two words and the other is a single word. There's the, the two words that are a theological word, statement called eternal security. Have you ever heard those words? I'm eternally secure. Some believe I'm not eternally secure. And by the way, I have great friends who are followers of Jesus who believe you can lose your salvation. And we argue privately. I mean, they're very good friends. Let me tell you this. I believe once you're a child of the king, he's not disinheriting you. He's not kicking out his family. When you become a child of the king, you are a child. So there's a sense of eternal security. That's number one. Number two is, this sense of assurance. Have you ever heard, are you, do you have assurance of your salvation? Have you ever heard those words assurance or anything around that, I'm confident? Okay, these are two very different concepts. Assurance has to do with you and me. Eternal security has to do with God. God has eternally secured you in his family Once you become a child of his, you are eternally secured. But your feelings about this thing go up and down, up and down. You feel saved, you don't feel saved. I feel like following Christ. I don't feel like following Christ. Do you see it? It goes up and down. That's that assurance thing. And I tell you what, we spend too much time on assurance and not enough time on eternal security. God and the Bible says he gave us the Holy Spirit as what? A deposit, as an earnest money, and he has sealed us. When you go and buy a house, you put down earnest money so that you know a month from now when you come and pay it all off, right? You're going to pay it, get a mortgage, whatever you do, and you buy the house. That's what he's saying. When you walk through the door, you get the Holy Spirit. He is assuring you, I'm sorry, he is eternally securing you that you are heading in the right direction. Now, the problem is we go off a little, we do this. See, the path, we can go off the path from time to time, but we don't go off becoming a believer, not a believer. Yes, I'm a believer, no, I'm not. I hope that makes sense. Let me give you the biggest example of this. And this is the one that I have struggled with my entire life until this week. So yes, pastors learn something. I just don't teach you something I learned 30 years ago. This I learned this week. I've read the gospels a numerous amount of times. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I've read the story of two of the disciples that did major sins. They were Judas and Peter. You remember that? At the end of the story of the gospels, Jesus is betrayed and he is denied by two of the disciples. There's only 12 of them. Two of them, one betrays, one denies. Who betrays? Judas. Judas. Who denies? Peter. Okay, and I have always said, I thought the denial was worse than the betrayal because the betrayal was just a kiss. Now, it wasn't a kiss on the lips. It was, you know, kind of like the French do it and the Arabs do it and the Middle Easterns do it. It was a kiss on the cheek, not... He was just telling them, this is Jesus. I mean, how, I mean, he wasn't really betraying them that bad, they already knew it was Jesus. And he kisses them. Peter denies him. What's the difference? Judas goes out and hangs himself and Peter becomes one of the cornerstones of the church. And I have never been able to figure it out and somehow I missed the whole story. So can I share it with you? Because I reread the story this week and it's amazing. When Judas was going to betray Jesus, Jesus knew it all, by the way. He knew both were going to deny and, and betray, right? Jesus said to Judas at the Last Supper, Someone's going to betray me. And who is it? Who is it? Who is it? And he didn't say, but he said to Judas, Go and do what you got to do. What you have to do, do quickly. He knew, Jesus knew, that Judas was not a follower of his. He was saying, Lord, Lord, he probably did some miracle, or whatever, he did all those great things, but he was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And Jesus knew it, and Jesus knew he was going to sin against him, and he said, just go do it. Satan's got a hold of your life. Go do it. Now, what did he do with Peter at the same time, at the same dinner? It's amazing. He says to Peter, Peter's also named Simon, so it's Simon Peter, right? He goes, Simon, Simon. This is at the same time, minutes later. Simon, Simon, Satan would have you and sift you like wheat. So Satan is a part of both of these events. One is Satan controls Judas. The other is Satan is using, sifting, working on Peter, he's gonna sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, Jesus didn't say I prayed for Judas, I prayed for you. Why did he pray for Peter? Because Peter was one of his children, and he prayed for him. And this is what he says, and this is what I never saw before, I had it underlined in my Bible, too, so I, I must have read it many, many times, but it never clicked. Let me read it again. Simon, Simon, Satan would have you and sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. So when you return, strengthen the brothers. I never saw that. So when you return, strengthen the brothers. Jesus knew he would fall. And then Peter, of course who had all the assurance in the world, said, no, 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 I'm not gonna fall. I'm not gonna do that. And what did Jesus say? I won't read it, I'll just say it. Jesus said, you're gonna deny me three times before the rooster crows this morning. It's nine or 10 o'clock right at this point in time. The rooster crows at about two or three in the morning. They don't crow at six in the morning. I've been over there. They crow at two and three, four and five and six. They crow all the time. So in five hours... He had all the assurance that he would follow Christ. I'll take you to the death. That's what he said, right? That's his assurance. And you remember what happened after he denied Christ? He went away discouraged. The next 24 hours, he had no assurance for what he was doing. But in 48 hours later, or less than 48, between the 24th and 48th hour, somehow the Holy Spirit re-enlivens him and says... Remember what Jesus said, when you return, strengthen the brothers. And Peter, again, became one of the cornerstones of the early church. He didn't wait years, he didn't wait months, he didn't wait decades after he sinned. I think one of the worst sins you could ever do against Jesus Christ, personally. He did it within 24 hours. He came back. And Jesus knew that he had already entered the gate. He was one of his, and he said, I'm praying for you. And guess what? When you return. He didn't say if you return. He said, Peter, when you return, strengthen the brothers. And that is brothers and sisters. For me, that's the most encouraging thing. Let me tell you something. If you have a husband, a wife, a child, a parent, a partner, a co-worker, and you know they had come to Christ, and they have walked away from Christ, pray for them they will return. And I believe if they're a follower of Jesus Christ, they will return. They will return. If they're not a follower of Jesus Christ, pray that they become a follower of Jesus Christ. And many of us don't know. We I don't know. I don't know because here's the problem. You see the cross here? I could stand around the cross and everyone in this room is somewhere around that cross. Some of you are in front of it, some of you behind it, some of you are way over here, some of you are way over here. We all, oh, you're in a church, man, you got a cross in the church. We're all around the cross, but are we followers of the man who hung on that cross? I don't know the answer to that. I would hope every single person is in here, but you probably aren't, many are. I don't know the answer to that. So as a pastor, I pray for you that you are and that you become, do you see that? Because it's not about your assurance. Because Peter's assurance was, I'll never deny you. And five hours later, he plummets. And what does he do when he plummets? He runs away. Five hours. It wasn't even the next day. Before the sun rose, he had denied Christ. Not once, not twice, three times. His assurance went up and down and up and down and up and down. His security in Christ was always the same. So, my friends, you go, am I, I saying, you know, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're a child of the King. You are saved. You have salvation. The Bible says, believe in me, believe in Jesus Christ, not me, believe in Jesus Christ, and you shall have eternal life. Your personal feelings are going to go like this I feel, I feel good today. It's Sunday. Tomorrow at work, I may not feel so good. Well, that's just a part of life. But please understand this. God is never gonna allow anybody to snatch you out of his hand. Nobody's going like this to God. Oh, I'm gonna take you. you I'm gonna take you out. Even the number one, I mean, the guy, remember this whole sermon on, on this rock, I'll, you know, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. That's a whole nother thing. This is all about Peter, And I tell you what, you have never been tempted by Satan. You've been tempted by the demons, you've been tempted by yourself, you've been tempted by others. He was tempted by the evil one himself, Satan himself. Satan's not omnipresent, so Satan can only tempt one person at a time. So he was, Peter was against Satan. And for five hours, let's say 24 hours, Satan got the victory. It was short-lived. If Satan can't take Peter down, No one's gonna take you down because God's got you in his hand. And John chapter 17 says, Jesus is praying for you. You're one of his children. He is praying for you. And that's the beautiful thing about this to understand it. Our time is up. This summer, my wife Elizabeth, you know, the cute one that smiles and leads Bible studies. She says, I want to jump off a cliff jump off a cliff with a kite on, a kite. I'm going, where do you want to jump off the cliff with a kite? We were in Switzerland, 10,000 feet up. She's running off a cliff at 10,000 feet where there's nothing below. Now, I told you a few weeks ago, I'm scared of heights, but she jumped off. (laughs) Great job. I didn't jump off. <laughs> there was a pro strapped to her. A pro. And I and he told me, he said, no, I'm down in the village. They had to take a half hour train ride, cog train ride all the way up. Okay, so it took an hour and something for them to get he said, He said, see that little field, and the field was about the size of this little thing here. I'm not talking about a soccer field because you're in the mountains. He goes, we're gonna land right here. I'm going, you're gonna land right here? He goes, just be there, and he gave me the time. We're gonna land there. And all of a sudden, at the appointed time, I see the speck coming off. And what you don't know is the vectors take you even higher. I mean, she's like at 11,000 or 12,000 feet up. And they're up there having, I see the videos later, the time of their life on the GoPro and doing all this great stuff, doing all this stuff. I mean, they were probably 10 miles from me when they started. And do you know they landed right here? Right next to me, I'm just standing there, boop, they landed. I thought it would be this running landing and just boop, they're there. My friends, Jesus Christ has you. He's not going to let you go. He is not going to let you go. That guy, after that, we took pictures of them, he said, I was going to get your wife here. I told you I'd be here at the time, and he was there at the time. He said, I'm getting you there. Now, if a human who's highly athletic and all the rest can do something, as he would say, as simple as, Jumping off a cliff. I don't think that is. Jesus Christ says, He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. You come to the way and the door. The truth is, it's Jesus Christ. You, the door opens because He's the door. You walk in, and there's life. When you hear the way, the truth, and the life, think of the door. The door, open it, there it is, the life. Now there's a lot of problems on that. There's bad people on that. There's people that harassing you. We still live on earth, so there's disease and there's other bad things that happen to us. There's calamities. My little nephew had an operation yesterday because he fell and his whole elbow got shattered. Not because of any evil, that his kids, his siblings did, but just the evil of the world. You fall, you're gonna crack, shatter your elbow as a little kid. These things happen. But please know this, that you're in the hand of the king. And when you're in the hand of the king, he is not letting you out. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together.